And we're back. We're back. We are back. Episode two. Episode two of Look at Us. Whatever this is. Have we have we come across the names yet? Have we No, it? we well we I, I think you get to you have named the podcast. Have we? I well, well this is uh I guess we, we were talking about it off 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 air. Is that outside a thing? the show. Outside, outside the, the show, show, um about what we were gonna name this thing. And there's always this sort of idea of where where does innovation, where does invention where does it come from? And there's this idea that it comes from the gap or the space between people, the space between it's, you know, brilliance. People individually have, you know, intellect, individually have ideas, but the space between a bunch of really smart people is where innovation comes from. And so I was, I was thinking, throwing around this idea. Um, I got the, this brilliant idea from mm-hmm. a beer can. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. That was Where named, all good ideas come from. Right. It was named specifically uh, the space in between. And I was like, wow, this, what we're really talking about here is science in between. Science in between, you know, because we're sort of in this, you know, this nether, nether region, right? Between, you know, are we teaching in classrooms? Are we teaching online? Um, what does that look like? Um, what does, and we're also in this period of change for, for schooling and for, for education mm-hmm. broadly and science education broadly. And so we're really in this in, in between space. Um, and I think that's, that can be really troubling and chaotic, but it also could be a, a really interesting place for innovation to happen. And so, mm-hmm. so we're sort of settled on science in between. Yeah. Is, that, is that what we're going to name it? Sure. I it's mean, it. we it's in call, the show we, now. It's in the show. It, it's we can call it uh, problem tunity. But no. I, don't, I, I don't think. No. <laughs> I was kidding. That is a horrible name for a podcast. No, or pandemification. That was. Oh, uh, that was a nice one. But opportunity, you know, it's yeah, okay. Yeah, enough on that. It, it, it's a fantastic word, though. But this yes. week we wanted to, in, in science in between, we wanted to talk about uh, the role of the science teacher and what that yeah. looks like. In, in this in this mess that we are in, I don't want to call it a mess. It's it's just the state we're in, right? Yeah. It's, it's our current context. Right. It's a little messy. It is a little messy, a little but it doesn't messy. necessarily have to be a negative thing. It's it can be. It's creating some challenges for us as as science teachers, and yeah. Yes, it is. And I think that when we unpack what uh, the science teacher, it's. I think the easiest thing is to think about science teaching from that. Okay. Well, we deliver content, right? That's the, mm. you know, like level one, you know, we teach physics, we teach chemistry, we teach biology, especially secondary teachers, right? Right. Think that, yeah. think that way about science. Yeah, absolutely. And then maybe younger grades, when we think about science, we, they think about they're, they're teaching a topic, right? They're teaching, you know, or mm-hmm. they're trying to spark love of, of the content area. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What, does that, what does that look like if if more and more of I, mean, I think that's actually my concern is that if we move more science online um, in these remote teaching that that that's where we find a, sort of a comfort zone that we focus more sure. on the delivery of content than all the other aspects of of teaching of science. Yeah, well, I think I think it's a fundamental problem with teaching is that when you are challenged when you when things get tough um, you tend to revert to the mean or revert to the easiest 
right? And both of those things tend to be traditional pedagogy, right? Where I'm going to deliver information because I don't have, you know, that's not hard for me, right? If I'm, if I'm feeling uncomfortable, if I don't feel like I know my content, well, I can say, look, I'm going to, I'm just going to talk about the stuff I really understand. I'm going to put that into my little PowerPoint presentation. Wham, and I got it. So anytime there's like a, a feeling of discomfort or a challenge, um, it's easy to fall back into the comfort zone, which is, well, this is how I was taught. I, I learned science fine this way. So what's the problem? Like, I, we can just do that. So it's I do also, think. It's also a way to find some control in the uncontrollable. Mm -hmm. Is that with all of this, I mean, what can, what can a teacher control, can control? Well, they can control how information gets delivered to students. And, mm -hmm. and I think that's what maybe some people want to run to because it, 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 like you say, it's a comfort zone. Um, but that's not the only thing that science teachers do. And that's not the only thing that science does. And, you know, I, well, I, I want to, I want to pick up on your thing about control for a second, sure, though, because I absolutely. think that's really, um, I mean, we're in a time now where we are recognizing that um, I think socially on a much bigger level, the nature of control and the associations of privilege with control, right? Oh, yeah. And so, uh, so how, like when we say, oh, I want, I want control and there, in schools, that means lots of things, mm -hmm. but, um, but what that really means and how, um, you know, we used to just say it's not good pedagogy, but I think we're increasingly recognizing that like social society is increasingly recognizing that it's not just not good pedagogy. It's actually um, racist, classist, you know, it, it, it's, it's socially bad. It's not just like, Oh, kids don't learn as well. Like this has serious social implications. So I think I, I just want to pick up on that notion of control. Cause I think it is so it's such a powerful concept and term in education. You hear it all the time, especially, you know, management, management and control, management right. and control. It's very authoritarian. Mm. And yes. And so whenever you, you as a teacher are, are controlling the discourse, the, you know, I, I, it's, it's interesting you bring it up because I, I was thinking about, um, I went to a, a conference a bunch of years ago and the keynote speaker was otherwise uh, uninspiring. But one of the things he said that I think I did remember, I don't even remember who it was actually, um, was that we can't count on any students having the same prior experiences or same prior knowledge. And that whenever we draw on certain experiences to, to sort of build understanding, that we may be privileging certain students and not privileging others. So if we say something like, you know, say we're trying to explain something about, you know, waves and, and say, okay, when you go to the beach in the summertime and you watch the waves come in, well, that experience may be a privileged experience for a certain population of students. And right. to kind of prove the point, um, he brought up like the top 10 movies um, that were popular at that time. And this was probably like maybe seven or eight years ago. Um, mm -hmm. And then he just kind of showed them and, and broke them out by demographics. And there was no movies across the different demographics in terms of, of race and, and, and so on. So, you know, what, what was 
said was, hey, here are the top 10 movies for America, right? But the next, if you just looked at the population of African-Americans, that's one group. We looked at the uh, white Americans, that's another group. And, and there was no commonalities just in movies, just in popular movies at the time. Mm. And he's like, if it's, if it's in our media, it's also in our experiences, it's on. And so that kind of goes to your point, whenever we as teachers kind of take control of of the discourse, of, of the dialogue, of how things get presented and how we present things, then that's absolutely gonna privilege certain populations over the others. And that's, that's a real challenge. Yeah, and I think that goes to one of the, one of the things that we were gonna talk about, which is a, a fundamental way that we think about the role of the teacher is that the role has to do with how they treat the ideas of students in the class, right? So ideas, students' ideas are resources. They are things to be built upon. They are what the class is about. Like, yeah, I'm there to teach science, but you're there to help students build their own ideas, make their ideas more sophisticated and, and press on them and push on them to make them better at explaining things. But even that gets tricky, like even defining um, like, what is a better explanation? What is a what is a more sophisticated explanation like uh, of something is very tricky. And to your point, also very culturally bound, right? Like, there's lots of um, complexity even to that thing. But that that's like a core piece of the way that we think about the role of the teacher, which is that the role of the teacher is not to be the person introducing all the ideas into the space, right? Yeah, they, their job is to draw ideas out of their students and use those ideas as the, as the way the class operates. Which, which brings us sort of, I think, naturally to the metaphors that are constantly used, right? Mm -hmm. Is the metaphors are, you know, the sage on the stage, the God on the side, you know, and the one you, you brought up a little last week uh, was uh, the coaching metaphor. Yeah. Is that, you know, are you the, the coach? I've often, I think that, that deserves some conversation, you know, yeah. I mean, the stage on the stage is, is what we're saying is, is a privileged position. It's a position that's authoritarian. It's a, um, it is a passive experience on part of the student and an active experience on um, part of the teacher. And, uh, and I, I would argue that it's, we, we have lots of data to show it's, it's, it's very ineffective. Um, so there's lots of research to show that, um, especially in science, is that the lecture-based at all levels, at K to 12 and at the college level, the lecture-based uh, instruction is 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 not very effective for long-term learning. And maybe for short-term, you know, maybe they can take a test and remember the stuff, but then long-term, they're just going to go back into their previous beliefs about things mm -hmm. and just going to go out the side. Um, but what yeah, about the, and, and deep not doesn't develop deep understanding doesn't help people apply that knowledge in real context to real things like so yeah that sage on the stage thing yeah still by far the most prevalent pedagogy especially in higher ed right like oh my gosh uh, yeah 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 but uh but yeah as you say known to be clearly ineffective right or less effective so we could probably spend a little bit of time on why that is. Um, I think some of it comes from that, their own, which you talked about briefly, was that our own experiences as teachers, very few of us have had uh, any other experiences besides lecture-based environments. Mm 
because mm-hmm. um, of the prevalence of it. There's not a whole lot of experiences for us as students to draw upon. We ourselves were probably very successful in those, those models. I mean, that worked for us. That's another really, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, if, I'm, if I go off and study physics or study biology, it's because I was successful in that lecture-based environment and I'm, I know how to navigate that space. And, mm-hmm. in a lot of, and that's to a large degree why we see, you know, the, the people who study science are, are certain populations of students, right? Because it's, mm. that's right. I mean, we mm. talk about, we want to try to get more women in the STEM. We want to get more people of color in the STEM. And it's not because the, they, they lack the ability to be in STEM fields. It's because the, the instruction of STEM privileges certain populations over others. And, yeah, and at the very least, right? There's, ton, at, right. And, and the culture of science is Absolutely. very, and, uh, and science itself is, has, you know, I mean, this is the thing I think we're grappling with again as a society is like fundamentally all of this stuff is white supremacist in its roots. And so if you don't grapple with that, if you don't say, look, like the reason we have race, the reason race exists as a concept is because of science. Like we did that. Like scientists invented race. We classified people and called one race different from another, like all that stuff. And so when you, when you really, and, and the same is true of gender and the same is true of like science and this sort of like dividing up the world has been, is so fundamental to, to how society operates that it's really, uh, it's a, it's a crazy thing, right? So we're, we're just, you know, this idea that we're just teaching science anymore. I think that increasingly is like an insane way to look at this. Like we're, we're not just teaching, just teaching science anymore. Well, the, the interesting thing is this, this whole conversation was actually going to be uh, talked about much more in depth than in a later episode that we had planned yeah. for a couple of weeks down the road. We'll come back to that. We we'll will come back. come back to it. Absolutely. And maybe we'll uh, bring in some other, uh, since, you know, you and I are just two, two white men, two old white yeah. men talking about this. Uh, right. We'll bring some, somebody who can bring something else to the to the table absolutely um so should we t- do you do we want to talk more about the sage on the stage and and fundamental issues with that as a metaphor or do we want to talk about the guide on the side well so i guess the, the maybe let's un- unpack the the guide on the side versus the coach on the bench those are the the the, the that's the one you threw out last week and i think yeah. that it deserves a, a little conversation is why why the coach and is there another metaphor that that yeah. exists that might be a better one so why 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 do you like the coach better than the, the guide? Um, yeah i mean i guess you know again for me it's the um well there's a couple things one is that um the guide even in the guide on the side even though they say it's on the side like the guide is leading things right the guide is the one that's deciding you know like when you hire a guide you go to you go to italy for example say we were just discussing tra- traveling to Italy. So you want to go to Italy. You want to, you want to see Rome. You've never been there before. You hire a guide. Well, the job of the guide is to know the territory and to lead you through the important things. Like, oh, we're going to go see the Coliseum, of course, because of the Coliseum. But I know this great little restaurant off this piazza over here, and we're going to go there for lunch because they're whatever. I'm not going to say the word, but that, you know, the potato-based uh, yeah, I know uh, what you're pasta. Yeah, Yes, that that yeah, stuff. Mm-hmm. That stuff. Uh, you know, they've got a great version of that. Um, so my point is, like, the guide is still on some fundamental level in control of the direction and the purpose and what the milestones are 
And they may be responsive to the group. If the group is like, well, you know, I don't really want to go to the catacombs. Like skeletons freak me out. So can we not do that bit? I don't know if there's catacombs, but let's say there are. Sure. Um, so for me, that co compared to the coach, the thing that I like about the coach, and again, like the coach metaphor came to me because of Michael Lewis's podcast. And it was like a very off the cuff thing. So I haven't thought deeply about it. But the thing that I fundamentally liked about it as a metaphor is that the coach is not in the game. The coach can advise, the coach can, um, can even yell advice, if, if that's what we want to call what coaches <laughs> mostly yell, suggestions, gentle suggestions from the bench, um, but they're not in the game. The people that are playing, the people that are doing are the players, right? And I think that's the thing that appeals to me is that what we want science to be about is that the students are doing the science and the, and the coach is there, you know, to help uh, and to make suggestions and ask questions. And, you know, if you think about like the idea of deliberate practice, right? Mm -hmm. This idea yeah. of like, you, the way you get better is if somebody is telling you like, what you really need to work on is this one little bit, like you're moving your foot a little wrong, like if it's tennis or whatever. So I like that metaphor, but I, but I'll stop then and no, I think, I think it's a good metaphor. And I, th I think one of the things I, I like about the metaphor as I thought about it uh, over the last couple of days was the, the idea that what, what we're trying to do as teachers is to help each one, each student um, develop their own talents. And so it comes from a very, mm. like what a coach would do with, mm. with one individual would be different than what he, what he or she does with another. Mm. And I think that really nice. helps us, you know, as teachers, consider that individualization uh, that mm. we have to do um, when we work with teachers, I mean, work with students. Um, so as we're working with students, yeah, like that. Were, they, were they bringing their own set of talents, their own set of experiences that we as, as teachers have to, to, to work from and, and right. develop. And so what we would do, what a coach would do with someone who's like a, I don't know, shortstop uh, would be different than what a coach would do with a pitcher. And those right. experiences and, the, and sort of those deliberate practices that they would suggest or recommend are going to be tailored to their strengths and their weaknesses. And, yeah. and so from that, I really like the metaphor. Um, the, the one thing I think about the, the guide is that there, there are sort of destinations that we want to get students to, not necessarily mm -hmm. like from you know, a, hey, here's a correct understanding, although there are correct understandings, but we, there are places we want to get them to, to go curricularly. And so there's part of me that doesn't want to give up that, that guide nature. So someplace there's a cross section between the guide and the coach that I think has some, some value. Um, yeah. I mean, though, I will say, I mean, I think one of the challenges we have to think about with that is to your point about this this idea of there are right answers. Um, and, and I don't, well, I sort of disagree, but I also think um, that I'll at least say that it's more complicated um, that, that to think of them as right answers is a, I mean, I don't think you really meant it as right answers no, because I, did I not. No. yes, because I, I think one of the things we recognize fundamentally is that science, even, even, conservative notions of how science operates would say that science is a tentative, Absolutely. that all ideas in science are tentative, right? So there aren't right answers. There are current understandings. There's current explanations. And those are always under scrutiny and under development. Um, yeah, most of it's what we call settled 
science, right? That we're not, mm -hmm. nobody's really talking about Newton's laws anymore about whether they, they think they're old enough, uh, uh, whether, whether there need to be new experiments around Newton's laws. Um, but I think the, um, yeah, this, this idea of like, where even does, where, how do we even decide like what it is that we want kids to learn? I mean, one of the, one of the questions I've been struggling with, I think is, I mean, you and I are physics teachers, right? Or former physics teachers, right? right? So we're, we got this sort of like, there are fundamental laws about the universe and you should know those laws. Like, um, and, and, and all the other sciences come from, yeah, from physics. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That goes without saying. Do right. we even have to say it? Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's clear. Chemistry, applied physics, biology, applied chemistry. I don't know. Earth and space science. I don't even know what those guys do. It's just Whatever. physics on a bigger scale. Yeah. They're just, yeah. Um, so, I mean, but I genuinely wondered, I've wondered recently, like, why do kids need to know Newton's laws? Like, if I was going to cast a net across all the science that I want kids to understand and think about, and I would say, like, well, right now, if I only, if I could pick, like, three things I wanted kids to understand, number one would be climate, right? I would absolutely want kids to understand climate and climate change. Now, is there physics in understanding climate and climate change? Well, of course there is. And so I'm not saying that there's no physics there, but I just wonder like sometimes we have this, you know, it's sort of like the canon in literature. It's like, well, you got to read Catcher in the Rye. You got to read Romeo and Juliet because otherwise you're not a citizen. And I don't know, I'm, I'm struggling with that. I'll admit. So if we were, let's, let's unpack that a little bit more. So if we were, Scott's science curriculum. You you were a king, and you got to set the king. You're I king. like this already. I like. I know. This. Yeah. And you get to uh, decide the science curriculum for everyone, for every human being on the planet. Climate would be number one. What would what else would would, would there be? I can make a I can make a strong suggestion. For yeah. Well, two. please. Uh, I think, join, I think, join the team. You join we the team. Be we can be co kings. All right. I, I think nature science could could be a, a really hard number two. It'd be hard to argue against having a solid understanding of the nature science. And I think I'm thinking right. a lot about that. And I mentioned it, I think, in last week's episode, episode one. Um, but I think we're seeing right now a, a world where not a lot of people or not enough people understand the nature of science and how we make claims and how we draw on evidence to make claims and how those things are not opinionized or, or I mean, they are exist in a political nature, but how the, you know, we try to make scientists try to do that, you know, based on the evidence that they see and that our understandings are tentative and they will change. Um, and we're seeing that play out in so many different ways right now in our society and that what, some people are doing is leveraging that as a, well, science doesn't know. Science clearly mm. doesn't know what's going on because look, what they said last week isn't what they're saying this week. And in some mm. cases it's happening that quickly, that the changes are happening, yeah. that as we're gathering evidence and as, you know, the scientific community comes together and, and discusses, you know, and I'm, I'm putting it in, in context with the, the coronavirus right now, but, you know, whether it's airborne or whether it's based on water droplets or wh what, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a conversation that's happening right now that's, that's pretty significant. And there are, you know, sides and they're saying, well, look, this lack of agreement, they don't know what's going on. Well, no, this is exactly how science works. Mm -hmm. and, and we're seeing it play out in real time. And it's, and for those of us who understand the nature of science, this is exciting times because we have like a front row seat to watch, mm -hmm. you know, 
science be created, understanding happening and how it, mm-hmm. you know, better evidence and better claims replace others. And that we keep working to try to get to the, the best understanding that we can. And, and that happens through conversations, which is one of the things that you talked about earlier is how important that conversation is mm-hmm. for us as science teachers to have that conversation play out in our classrooms, but we're seeing it happen. So that would be number two, I think, if on the, the Scott's ultimate well, so, science so playlist. Do- I'll do a <laughs> sneaky academic thing and say, well, yeah, that's the cross-cutting piece, sure. there, right? That's the NGSS. Like the practices right. have to be there. How it's, you it, do science. Yes. Yeah. You play the game, right? The game is being played. The question is like, what game are you playing? And so I want to- That's right. That is exactly how they're in the NGSS. That's exactly right. The next, next generation science standards is exactly how they do that. They're like, yeah. well, these aren't other standards. These are the standards that cross all the other standards. That's right. They're all integrated. So you can't just teach climate because climate has to have practices integrated into it and it has to have the cross-cutting concept. So, yeah, I mean, we, but, but for me, that's a, and even like calling it the nature of science. I mean, if if we're going to be nitpicky about that too, like that's, that's a sort of academic fight as well. Right. And, and I don't like the nature of science as a way of characterizing that for a whole bunch of reasons. Um, and and I do like practices for a whole bunch of reasons, and we can talk about that those things another day too. But mm. um, but I think the reason that we have scientific practices in the NGSS is because there is a difference between those and and nature of science and even inquiry to some extent. Sure. Um, so um, yeah. So I think the but but I guess the the thing I've been struggling with is just this like what are the if we're going to use the NGSS terms, like what are the DCIs? Like what are the important disciplinary core ideas that all kids need to understand? And I'm trying to figure out those choices have been made um, historically by I think mostly the wrong people, right? So the people who mostly decide what kids really need to know in science are scientists. And I, you know, I love me a scientist, but, but, uh, but, they're not the people that I necessarily want deciding what are the most, because they have vested interests, right? Like you sit down with a physicist and you say like, what do kids really need to know? And they're like, okay, look, they just need to hear the basic things. They just right. need to know, think it, you know, they need to know Newton's laws, maybe a little E&M, throw some Maxwell in there, a little bit about waves and light. And, you know, they, they got their little, they got their little laundry list of things that they want kids to understand. It's like, okay, fine. Yeah. But why? Like, why do you want kids to understand that? Well, you know, because physics is the fundamental science and we really need to understand it. So, um, so I'm grappling with this idea. If the kids, so if we go back to this metaphor, if I'm the coach and the kids are the players and I'm a science teacher, um, how much agency do they get about the game? Like how do they, you know, their rules, right? Their rules to the game. But the question is, like, how, how much agency do they get in the game? And I think this is, um, this is a, an important question for us to grapple with in terms of us as in our role as teacher. So, Wow, you just pivoted right there, right yeah. there. So you're like, I want to have this curriculum, but then I'm going to just scratch that and say, no, no curriculum. Just- uh, well, that's what, no, I'm not saying no curriculum. I'm just saying, like, what? Like, what is, what is the appropriate way to bound that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, my, one of the things I always railed against in earlier versions of national documents, so the National Science Education Standards, they had this 
sort of story in there where it's a teacher and they're teaching, I don't know, middle school biology. And the story is some kid looks out the window and there's like four trees in a row and one tree right. is dead. I know this and story. So they, yeah, I know, of course I know you this. Do. Sure. Yeah. And so I, they build a whole curriculum around why is this one tree dead? And they report to the school and to the local community and they, whatever, they create a whole new garden in the backyard that's all native plant. I don't remember the whole story, but sure. but you get it, right? And so I would always poo-poo that and say, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Like, you can't do that. Like, every teacher can't just say, I'm going to do, I'm going to try and find some local thing that's one. And then even then it's like, okay, Ollie brought that up. He's really interested in it, but now everybody's got to investigate it just because Ollie opened his big mouth. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I, but I do, I do think that we're right now we're too far on one end of the, that spectrum where kids have almost no agency. The teachers have almost complete control. Right. And whether that, whether they're the sage on the stage or the guide on the side, the direction and the 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 science that's being done is chosen by the teacher, um, and and I'm just wondering because it that that increasingly feels weird to me. So I'm trying, but I'm but I don't know what yet exactly my answer to that is. It just feels and the, and the coach the coach is my as a metaphor is is an opportunity to for me to think through some of that. I think. Yeah, I guess we could nitpick that a, that a little bit, like the coaching. Because sure. when you think about it, there are – so I guess if we talked about – talk to teachers, well, why did you set up your classroom like this? And, mm. and if we talk to physics teachers, and you know, I've supervised student teachers in physics classrooms, and I can look in my, my watch and say, okay, well, it's November. They're probably starting mo momentum, right? Yeah. And I, I – and, yeah. and, Pretty much if I walk into a classroom and it's a, a traditional, you know, introductory physics class taught to juniors in high school, November is about the time they'll start talking about momentum, give or take. Mm -hmm. right. And, and that's, uh, and, and that is across <laughs> like everywhere, right? So mm -hmm. someplace it's that teacher would argue that, okay, this is the curriculum that somebody has decided from someplace else. Sure. Yeah. And, and so if we, talk about that and then kind of go back to the coaching metaphor while the coach himself or herself can help to develop those individual players there's still a, a, a game a larger game that they're trying to get them to you know to play in practice in and so it's like right. these are the rules of baseball somebody else has decided the rules of baseball and if mm. you're you're not you're not going to say as a coach okay you know what we're going to send 10 players out there or you know we're not going to have a pitcher or we're not going to have mm -hmm. a you know a catcher right and and so i guess what i'm thinking about is the the coach while they have sort of this ability to develop the individual players or as teachers we have the ability to to develop individual students and we're trying to help them develop their talents that I think most teachers would argue that they don't have the control or the agency themselves because of the curriculum that, you know, AP, that their local district, that the next generation science standards and, you know, keep going up. Like, just like a baseball coach would say, well, you know what, I can't do this because the rules of the game are this, you know, and those have been decided by somebody else. And so I think that if you would talk to, a lot of teachers, they themselves would talk, say they have very little agency about what happens. I mean, I know 
districts. I have teachers who work in districts in which their lessons are completely scripted. Mm-hmm. Now, it doesn't happen so sure. much in science as it does in literacy or math, where those are scripted lessons where the teachers are following, okay, it's, it's day 36. Here's the script for day 36. Day 37, you flip over the notebook. These are, this is the script, and they're basically reading from, you know, like, like they're playing a part in a play. Mm-hmm. And so that agency on part of the student, then there's lack of agency on part of the teacher. And then, you know, just keep go like unpacking those, you know, those little Russian dolls, right? It's like, okay, right. who, who has the... So, so let me, let me like, I'm going to tear your pieces into pieces now. Sure, let's do into it. Two, into two pieces, right? For now, because there's always two things. With me. So, so thing one is uh, about the rules of the game. So are the rules of the game the content or the practices? Because if the rules of the game are the practices, then I'm pretty comfortable with the coach still as a metaphor, right? Because it's like, okay, yeah, like you've got to learn how to play baseball, if that's the thing. You've got to learn how to play science, and you might learn how to be a pitcher um, because that's your strengths or a little bit more of a catcher. But if the rules of the game are the, the settled, settled science – then I, yeah, I, I don't like that because then it, it feels like a different animal. So it feels like when I'm talking about like the kids on the field are playing the game, I'm saying they're doing the science and those are the rules. Mm-hmm. Like for the, for example, the rules are uh, like our claims need to be evidence-based. Like mm-hmm. that's a rule of the game. Like you don't get to just make whatever claim you want. Like you have to make a claim that's evidence-based, right? So you're, so there, there are rules to the game. So that's, so that's that bit. And then the second, the part two of the, or the B part, whatever, is this, is this Russian nesting doll. And I, I totally recognize that, right? Is that, you know, we have state standards and well, we will hopefully soon, new ones. Right. Um, and, brilliant people uh, are working on them. Brilliant yeah, people. Brilliant people. The best, only the best people, only the best people. Um, so so we've got hopefully new standards and, and in fairness, that's part of the, my thinking even through this process is thinking about like, well, what does it mean to have standards? And, and so one of the things I wonder about um, is to, to what degree um, are those, are those patterns? Well, there's two, there's even two parts to this, I guess. So one of them is, to, to what degree are teachers actually constrained by those things versus their perception that they are constrained by those things. Now, if you're in the extreme version where your, your administrator says like, here's the script, you know, Mr. McDonald, you will be on lesson 36 on day 36. If you're on lesson 35 or 37 on day 36, we're going to have a beef, right? So your job is to be on script and be on time and deliver, right? Um, and that's a problem. That also is um, deeply flawed in not just pedagogically, but in terms of going back to this issue of control and in terms of absolutely race, racism and classism and white supremacy and all the issues that are bundled up in like the, you will you will not be responsive to your children, no matter what your children are doing. Here is the lesson of the day, right? Like that level of insanity, I don't I don't understand, but. Um, but then there's the other ones where it's like, well, you guys have to, like the group, I, I work with a group of middle school teachers here. They're, they've really sort of designed their own 
curriculum for sixth through eighth grade and it meets the standards, but it doesn't, it doesn't follow a script and it doesn't even like, they're not even all on the same page. Like they're all doing it at different paces. They're responding to the kids in their classroom. I mean, again, this goes back to this role of the teacher thing. So, so I do, I, yeah. So, so that's another thing is like, how, how do we think about that bit of it? Where, where if, if, if I'm being told like I'm scripted, like what is our role as, as a science teacher to say, look, that's, that's wrong. That's not how science works. That's not how we should be teaching science. And we are doing all of our children a disservice by, by teaching this way. So I, I agree with you, but I think that there is some content that students need to learn in order to be able to, I mean, I, I think we'd like to think that everything can be Googled, right? And the information the information's oh no. uh, the, the yeah. out there, but in order to understand what, you know, like I think the, in order to understand the things that are happening in our society, there's a fundamental level of, of scientific understanding that needs to happen. And, and some of that may be, I don't know if it's Newton's laws or maybe it's, you know, um, well, what's Ollie's top five. I gave well, you my, I gave you my one. Give me yeah, your, your number one. What? Well, yeah. That's a good question. Uh, how about, well, I'm going to put a, uh, put a pin on that for another episode. Oh, oh really? that's what I did. I did it right there. Oh, I just kicked it, kicked that can down the road. Uh, um, no, but I think sneaky. that there, there is a, uh, there, there is a level, uh, there's a foundation in order for, it's like, okay, like, let's talk about like civics. Let's change it from, from science. Like, don't do that. Let's stay in uh, science. Oh, hold on. on. Hear me oh, out. Oh, so okay. let's say, but in order, like, if we're talking about like being a an active citizen in terms mm -hmm. of being able to participate in the electoral process, mm -hmm. you have to know there's three branches of government. You have to know that there are, that we elect certain things and how those people get elected and and how to be able to be a an informed citizen. There's a baseline content understanding that needs to happen right would you agree with that um yeah but you're you, i feel like you're doing the same thing you did before which is you're trying to mix practices and content together in a sneaky way right like i i so they're not my, they're not separate they're, they're not right, right but here's the thing right so my wife's a social studies educator and we i'm going to jump to a podcast now we just listened to a podcast in a series called seen on radio which is, comes out of duke it's fantastic if you haven't seen it the most recent one is all about democracy. And there was an episode that we just listened to together that was all about civics and how civics gets taught in this country. And I think would give a very civics-y example of exactly the opposite of what you're saying, which is that this idea of like, you got to teach them the branches of government. You got to teach them. It's like, well, what you really need to do is you need to engage kids in the civic process. And when you do that, they're going to realize like, oh, wait, I have a representative. What does it mean to have a representative? Like, how big is that catchment for my rep? Is, oh, there's a state and a national representative for me? That's crazy. Wait, there's a senator too? Like, what's the difference between a representative and a senator? And I got to call these people because we're going to do, in this case, they were doing youth mental health. We, we're trying to get a bill through about youth mental health. So we, we're in eighth grade. We got to call the representative. I gotta, like, okay, fair enough. So yeah, there, you have to learn stuff. But do you have to learn stuff by 
here are the three branches of government. And I'm not saying you were arguing. That's that. not what I was saying at all. Yeah, I, I was not, I, I was I not know. saying that, but I, I was saying that there are, there are some, some, there's a, there's some fundamental content that I think, and I don't know what that is. We can, you know, I'll put that down as on put, the, put that down for the next. I did. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I put it down on my little notepad here. Um, I'll, put it, I'll put it in a magic document. Magic document. Um, what is the Ollie curriculum? No. What's the fundamental content? Okay. And then, yeah. Yeah. The bulleted list is Ollie's top five and Scott's top five. All right. We'll, we'll have that for another episode. Yeah. But I think that this does, I, I think while we, we talked about this, and I certainly, we've strayed a good bit from our initial topic, which what, what is the role of a science, science teacher? Yeah. Uh, I think we've done well, I don't a, know if we've strayed. No, that's much, what I was going to say. We haven't. Uh, while we've covered a lot of territory that may seem science teacher adjacent, uh, but mm. I think that it does absolutely talk about this, you know, dichotomy of practice and content. Mm-hmm. And how? So, and, I, and I think it 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 clearly shows that what a teacher's real role is is to establish a set of norms to to help kids understand what the culture of that discipline is through the norms that they establish in their classroom. And that's why it goes back to our three metaphors. That's why that sage on the stage is so toxic. Sure. Right. Yeah. So we've we've covered a, a great deal of territory here. Nice. Wow, like lots, lots of stuff covered here. We're covered. We co- good coverage. Coverage, good coverage. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Which is what we, good science teachers do. We covered a right. lot of stuff in covered in, a lot of stuff in our lesson today. Nice work. Well, we forgot to put the objective on the board, but we'll do that later. It, I, I'm sorry. Our district does essential questions. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, good for yeah, you. That's yes. very progressive. <laughs> essential questions. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. There, there you go. Can I have the whole the same essential question on my board for the whole year, or is that verboten? Uh, no, you could do it. Just make sure that when administrators come through with their walkthrough, that yeah. that, that that different, you know, it looks different. Maybe word it yeah. differently. There uh, you so. go. Well, they, some of the yeah. keywords. They're probably not science teachers anyway. So that's, that's true. They don't understand that stuff because they were taught science the old-fashioned way, where you didn't really learn science. There's there's a little bit of sarcasm here. You bit. think? A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> All right, so I guess we move to to, to recommendations, right? This yes. How we're ending that's, our that, that's our signature sign off is we is we tell something that gave us joy. Yeah, you want to start? No, I want you to start. All right. So uh, you brought up um, Michael Lewis's Rules of the Game last week. Yeah. And which I've been I, I love that podcast, but I would say that um, one of the podcasts that brings me joy one hundred percent of the time, and this is something like. It's been around forever, but I don't know if you you you, you know about it. Um, it's uh, the Memory Palace by Nick oh, DeMeo, yeah. and it is a, yeah, it is so good. So if you're not familiar, it's the Memory Palace by Nick DeMeo, and it's very short episodes, usually like ten to fifteen minutes, no, never much longer, and it comes out every other week. So it's one of those ones you have to kind of wait for, which I think is part of the things I uh, part of the things I like about it is that. I'm not getting a new one like every week or a couple of times, like one a day. Um, so there's a, uh, sometimes a, you know, that weight kind of that anticipation. And he has a great way of talking about things very poetically. And he has this voice that probably is not like your voice or my voice. God. It's calming. <laughs> That's probably and soothing. Good. Yeah. It's calming, calming and soothing. And he's super smart and he reads like 
each one is almost like this, almost like a poem. Um, and they're like short stories that cover, you know, you, you think it's going to go one way and that goes a different way. And at the end, you're just kind of left just with so much to, and there's very few, there's no commercials, I don't think ever. And usually at the end, you're just left with this, you know, almost like an ellipsis at the end of every episode. Yeah. And, and it just stops. And you just, there's a, a bit of silence and you're just like gasping for air as you, it's awesome. It's just an op, awesome podcast. And I listened to yeah. one this morning that just was brilliant. So. Yeah. It's a, I've heard it described as little jewel boxes. Each oh. episode is like a little jewel box. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, there, there are very, there are a bunch of people who are like, if I were to be able to meet somebody in the podcast world, Nick DeMeo would be somebody I'd like to have a beer with. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he's a, uh, well, not, not that we wouldn't have a beer with almost anybody, but, <laughs> but Good point. Good point. if you had to choose somebody to have a beer with, right. that would be a person. Yeah. So I'll, so I'll follow you with a, with a podcast too, because I think that's going to be at least a theme a lot of times for us. But, um, but there's a, a, a Tim Harford who um, is an author, but also uh, um, like works for the BBC and wrote for the economist, but he has a, um, a podcast called cautionary tales that's put out by Pushkin industries, which is a Malcolm Gladwell joint. Um, but, uh, but cautionary tales is, is also just a, it's, it's one of those, it's similar to what you say, like it's longer. It's not, it's not a jewel box, but there are those lovely stories about um, like he unpacks stories of, like things that have gone wrong and why they go wrong and helping us sort of understand, usually there's a psychological component to them um, about human decision-making or something, but, uh, but he's done in the era of COVID, he's put out these shorter, more sort of targeted episodes and they're really, um, they're really nice. And he, he's just a, a smart and interesting guy and, and great to listen to his one. He, he just did one recently about his, sort of personal response to COVID and his, his um, inability to really, even though he was interviewing some of the scientists that were doing some of the early work as, you know, as early as like January and February, his inability to sort of get his head around what this really meant um, until it was way too late. Mm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's, a, it's another one of those, you know, it's sort of another one of those turns out podcasts where it's like, you know, oh yeah. Uh, you always thought it was this way, but it turns out it's that way. But he he does it. Uh, he just does a lovely job of it, and he's a great storyteller. Um, so, yeah, it's I've been liking that one. So this week, uh, role the science teacher. Um, I don't know if we really got much into what that looks like in like the remote world. Practical terms in the remote Practical world. Practical terms, and 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 that could be something we put. Uh, on the agenda for a future episode is to talk about that a little bit more in depth. Cause I think where we sort of, you know, fell into the rabbit hole was the idea between content practices and metaphors. And I think those are important things for us to, to build upon as we, as we move forward. So in a future episode, let's, let's revisit this topic. Cause I think it, it deserves yeah. a little more attention. Yeah. I think we're, uh, you know, the way we've organized it, it looks like, you know, this was sort of the big, uber picture and sure. now we're going to dig into some details like we're you know questioning some of these other things that we've got down the list where we'll, we can get into some of the practical nitty-gritty of how this all plays out but i'm yeah i'm excited about that absolutely so this is fun 
And I, I'll, I guess we'll see you next week. Yeah. See you All next right. week. All right. <laughs> Signature sign off. See you right next there. Week. We'll get there. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Someday. <laughs>